0: Greetings and welcome back to another Meet Kevin report. Wow, it is so nice to be back in the studio. I much prefer being back in the studio every day than traveling, but sometimes that's just what you got to do for work. And you do what you got to do. So folks, today, a lot to talk about. We'll do a little intro on some side shows that are going on. But most importantly, and I think on everybody's mind today, is going to be Silicon Valley Bank. What did Janet Yellen just say? What is the Federal Reserve suggesting? What has happened in the past? How could this time be different? After all, those are some of the most dangerous words in investing. So we've got to pay attention to all of it. First, uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some introductory information. First, Germany's industrial output and business expectations have actually risen to the highest level since Russia invaded, really signaling that perhaps it may remotely be possible that a soft landing could occur uh, in Germany that is avoiding a recession. Volkswagen actually thinks revenues could jump 15% this year. This comes as GM's cruise is actually cutting positions and expenses. On their self-driving division, trying to double down instead on first trying to get a profitable electric vehicle, rather than doubling down on the Cruise division and getting that full self-driving autonomy going. Well, going more than it already is. Remember, GM purchased Chevy or GM purchased Cruise, which is now Chevy Cruise, uh, for around 30 billion dollars during the uh, COVID era. And uh, that now is expected to actually represent a huge value for GM as a big part of their market cap. Now, the fact that they are writing down expenses in this sector, trying to focus more on EV profitability is either a sign that they're not too convinced in that EV autonomy that they're developing with Cruise, or They realize they need to get through this recession and the best way to get through this recession or whatever it is we're going through is to minimize expenses. That's always important. If you're a business owner, if you're an individual, you should always be thinking to yourself, how can I minimize my my expenses? How can I optimize my day to make sure I can get myself and my family or whomever you're responsible for through this crisis? And that's the most important thing. I know a lot of people wanna retire early, sit on a beach, hang out, have fun. You know, you wanna live because YOLO and such but the reality is now is the time to make sure that you can enjoy those YOLOs after we get through the pain. So we gotta work hard and get through the pain now and that's why companies are tightening their belts as much as they are. Uh, however, this surprise in uh, Germany was uh, actually relatively bullish, declaring uh, Mr. Olaf Schulz declaring that this slump would end up coming to pass. Uh, part of this potentially due to a mild winter in Europe, less energy use, but warns that we're not out of the woods, especially since German inflation runs at about 9.3%. The House of Representatives have voted via Senate Bill 619 to declassify all of the available information on the origins of COVID. The House of Representatives have voted on this as well with a vote of 419 to 0. It should be heading to Biden for a signature expected also to be slam dunked, of course, by the Senate. It was a bill that originated in the Senate, has been voted on by the House 419 to 0. The point here is... Hey, it's not to assign blame to China. It's to figure out what actually happened. So that way, if we find out what actually happened, was this natural transmission at, you know, basically a wet foods market, or was this a lab leak that then naturally transmitted after it leaked in a lab? Who knows, but the FBI and energy department and many scientists believe this was a lab leak. Many others believe this was natural transmission. And the reality is, we just don't have concrete proof of either answer. And if we can get that private pr- or that concrete proof, maybe we can have better systems in place to prevent these sorts of lab leaks. Remember, there are 69 biosafety uh, four, uh, level four virology facilities, like the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that is China's first level four biosafety facility. And there is no single body that actually regulates or supervises controls. At those facilities. Ukraine, uh, obviously, uh, we've got uh, a lot of drama and pressure and death and sadness happening between Ukraine and Russia. Drama mostly online and, of course, actual physical pain and devastation in person, and it's absolutely terrible. Ukraine has said it is now officially done recruiting volunteers for its next offensive planned for this spring. Ukraine has recruited 29,000 volunteers. Excuse me. Ah, And uh, expect to be able to prepare for their next offensive potentially not only throughout Kherson but also uh, into potentially Crimea if they're able to get the battle tanks that the West has promised them to help aid them in their advances. The EU at the same time is trying to step up its monitoring of sanctions, especially since it seems like countries like Kazakhstan Kazakhstan and the United Arab Emirates are all of a sudden seeing a lot of purchasing of advanced chips, which they previously didn't do. In some cases, to the tune of 50 to 100 times the chip imports are going into Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan. I don't know why I always say that one wrong. Uh, And the United Emirates, which is interesting because before the Russian invasion, you didn't have that sort of spike. So the idea might be are American chips and European chips flowing through countries in the Middle East and south of Russia to end up getting to Russia? Because Russia used to buy those chips and now they're just getting them through another country, sort of filtering away the sanctions at potentially a price premium, but still leading to the arrival of those chips in Russia? Probably, very likely. Bloomberg Intelligence sees lower energy demand heading into the first half of the year. Obviously, we're about one quarter of the way through the year so far, but Bloomberg Intelligence sees by the end of the first half oil down to $65 per barrel. This stands in stark contrast to about two months ago when almost everybody in the finance community, with the exception of me, knock on wood, was clamoring for $100 per barrel for oil. USD, uh, USDC at Coinbase transfers have been frozen. Reason for this is Coinbase says they don't want people being able to redeem USDC for dollars while banks aren't open because they need banks to be open in order to let people redeem their USDC for dollars. Now, surprisingly, without any kind of indication yet that USDC's and circles funding, they're about 3.3 billion dollars that's stuck at, uh, that is stuck at Silicon Valley Bank uh, would be returned despite not having any kind of a surety of this, we've already seen the slow return of the USDC peg instead of being discounted as much as 17 cents which is what we saw just a couple of days ago, USDC currently sits at just a discount of 4% sitting at 96 cents on the dollar. Joe Manchin says he's working with Janet Yellen on an EV tax credit. He says, quote, we have an agreement to disagree. (laughs) Now, that doesn't sound like they're really working on anything, but he does say, quote, I'm working with her, but we are going to be self-sufficient. We'll work through this so everyone can win. Now, I want to clarify this. Obviously, there is an expectation that we're not actually going to see any major uh, cooperation between Democrats and Republicans to pass really new, uh, potentially divisive legislation before the 2024 election. We really think we're essentially in a lame duck Congress already, given that we have a divided Congress house being controlled by Republicans with the leader of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and then of course, Chuck Schumer leading the, uh, democratically controlled Senate. Now, and of course, with Joe Biden, uh, running the white house, We have the expectation, or the party running the White House, we have the expectation that very little is going to get done, with the exception of negotiations on legislation that is already passed. Joe Manchin, as Speaker of the House, can work directly with Janet Yellen of the Treasury Department to actually create and establish rules for which vehicles would be eligible for electric vehicle tax credits, which batteries would be eligible for that, what are the requirements going to be for sourcing, how is Mexico going to be involved, how is Canada going to be involved. Uh, All of this is obviously very important for companies and EV investors, because look, for example, at Tesla. Tesla just announced that they're now officially building their Northeast Mexico facility. They've already started recruiting for their Northeast Mexico facility. And the desire of building in Northeast Mexico is that it does provide the right, at least what we believe right now, subject to future treasury guidance, that we will end up getting a Inflation Reduction Act EV tax credit that enables production of batteries in anywhere of North America, which includes Mexico and Canada, of course, where labor is, of course, cheaper in Mexico, in order to still be eligible for full tax credits for end users when the vehicles are finally assembled and sold. That's a big deal. So obviously, we want to pay attention to this. And these are the sort of negotiations that are happening outside party votes. This is sort of now just party negotiating, uh, inter-party negotiating. This week, by the way, I just thought I'd give you a quick update as well. This week was a pretty wild week for me. Uh, I uh, really enjoyed it, but it was also extremely exhausting. But then again, I kind of just keep going, (laughs) but I like that. Uh, This week, I was fortunate enough to meet with Peter Schiff for an interview in Puerto Rico at his home. Ended up going to dinner with him uh, and his family. Uh, which was really neat, neat to meet the the Schiff family. Uh, I also had the privilege of looking at real estate all throughout North and Central Florida from Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Melbourne, Kissimmee, and then of course going over to Largo and Clearwater where of course I had the privilege of meeting Ben Mala. And I was so fortunate to be able to have a, a dinner with Kathy Wood. Here's a picture of that. Uh, which I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Kathy's amazing. She's very similar in person as she is on video. Sometimes when you meet people, you're like, are those people really like uh, they are in video? Kathy's the same. It's it's really really cool. I've met a lot of people, especially YouTube content creators, who are who uh, who are very different in person, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Every everybody just has a different personality. But in case you were wondering, that's something that I took away that was very cool. Uh, People say the same thing about me, that I'm pretty much the same person. Uh, I I agree with that. I, I don't think one is necessarily better than the other, but I think it's very interesting. And then on Saturday, I had the privilege of enjoying Clearwater Beach and then checking out Northwest Arkansas. A course member, uh, actually many course members uh, were uh, taking us to uh, look at real estate, which was really enjoyable. Uh, Which of course reminds me, we got the St. Paddy's Day coupon for the programs on Building Your Wealth linked down below. But uh, really incredible opportunities and uh, the fact that we were able to knock out all of this uh, in a, you know, a Tuesday through Saturday is, uh, in my opinion, absolutely insane. That in basically five days, we were able to accomplish all of this. It, it really shows you the productivity of being able to travel the way you need to in order to operate a real estate startup. Real estate startups extremely important, by the way, to always be boots on the ground. If you're not boots on the ground, you're not going to get deals. You're not going to build relationships. You're not going to make it uh, if you're not boots on the ground. This is, in my opinion, the big failure of companies like Open Door and Zillow and otherwise. So my thoughts here. Okay. Now let's go ahead and uh, jump on into oh the joys of Silicon Valley Bank. They're not really the uh, joys of Silicon Valley Bank, but uh, we've got a lot to talk about here. I'm going to look at a few questions here really quickly. Uh, I live in Northwest Arkansas. Do you do anything fun out there? You know, I, uh, I, we look at real estate. Uh, I, I try. I mean, sometimes we'll do some fun stuff like Clearwater. We went to the beach. Uh, the Florida beaches are fantastic, by the way, for body surfing. I grew up in South Florida. I always think that's the way to do it. Uh, you could do boogie boarding or body surfing or wakeboarding. Generally, uh, I, I don't. You don't see much surfing in Florida. There are maybe some minor parts you can go to, but generally, you don't see much surfing. But the water is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. The beaches of uh, of the west coast of Florida are, are gorgeous. The sand is is so unique; it's like powdered snow. Uh, the sand's a little rougher on the east coast. But uh, the water's warm. <laughs> Compared to California, that's actually really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see here. Treasury Yellen. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about what Yellen said about uh, Silicon Valley Bank. She uh, she gave us a very good hint. So, we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Uh, let's see here. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Just seeing what other kind of comments you have, guys, I find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody here says you lose credibility talking with Kathy you know uh, I disagree with that I think Kathy is a brilliant person I think she's an intellectual I I don't really care what anybody thinks about that I'll bluntly tell you that now we can still have beer together don't don't worry I'm, I'm not mad at you for saying that I just disagree with you that's okay the Philippines have the best beaches oh that's pretty cool all right uh let's see here uh, somebody thinks I'm trying to justify a private jet. I don't have to justify jack anything to you. <laughs> like I pay for my plane. No investor touches a dime on the plane. It's my plane. Nobody can have it. Nobody can tell me what to do with it. I can do whatever I want with it. That I am very thankful for. But I don't need to justify my plane to anyone. A lot of people ask me questions about it, and I'm happy to share things. But I don't give a crap what you think about my plane. <laughs> you you could think my PP's small. You could think my PP's fast. You could think my PP's lame. You could think my PP's awesome but I got a pee pee. (laughs) Boca Raton. I've been there. I met Warren Redlick over there. Uh, Warren's awesome. Was it there or West Palm? Now I can't remember where I ended up meeting. I've been to Boca and West Palm, but I can't remember where I met Warren. But anyway, uh, all right. Mm -hmm. Probably not. He leases it out to house hack. That is false. That is absolutely uh, false. Uh, Gilly Monster, I prefer you don't uh, spread uh, lies. Let's be very clear. If I say I am paying for it, I'm not jerking people off here and lying to you and somehow I'm leasing it. My leases are public record. The FAA could see the lease that uh, my the LLC that owns my uh, plane has with my media business because my media business pays for it. These are public record. They're filed with regulators. So what you're saying is abjectly false. But then again, what do you expect from the comment section? <laughs> you know, uh, there are always going to be people who are absolutely clueless. Uh, any chance to discuss Charles Schwab? Ooh, uh, maybe. That's interesting. Uh, y- you know, um, the big things that I would look for is how how large is Charles Schwab in the level of banks? Let's look really quickly. Largest banks, United States, standby. Without actually going into their financials, right? Ah, wow, Schwab is not even one of the big 14. That's insane. Uh, that's not good. I'll just put it that way. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I told tell my course members. Uh, and obviously it's not personalized financial advice. It's just my opinion. Do not touch anything related to financials in a recession. Uh, You know, people like to say, oh, Kevin flip-flops all the time. There's one thing I guarantee you I have not flipped on, and that is you do not touch financials in a recession. It's stupid. You have absolute, like, the time people are going to default on loans, and it's only going to be worse than people actually price in, the time people default is in a recession. You don't default any other time. (laughs) Uh, no, nobody, nobody rides my pee-pee other than people I want to ride my pee-pee. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Now we got to talk SVB. Uh, stand by. So that's some fun commentary. Uh, 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 uh. We'll call that uh, commentary. All right. Uh, oops. Sorry, I messed it up. Ah, there we go. All right, 10 seconds. All right. Janet Yellen just spoke on bailouts, Jerome Powell gave his opinion on bank bailouts and the lagging effects of the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes are finally hitting. With the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Silvergate just last week, now the largest bank failure via SVB since 2008, folks, buckle up and get ready. SVB and the FDIC have 8,500 employees now getting paid 1.5x their salary at Silicon Silicon Valley bank for the next 45 days, just to help the bank actually survive during the liquidation process. Silicon Valley bank is expected to open under FDIC receivership on a Monday. We expect a lot of people to be in line at banks around the nation for, uh, and quite frankly, around the world, given that SVB also has international facilities, looking to withdraw their money from SVB. But it's not just SVB, it's also the potential contagion risk of people knocking on the door of banks like First Republic uh, or other local, regional, community banks, potentially even credit unions. Yes, even credit unions. People are likely to be clamoring on the doors of banks, demanding to get their money out of the banking system. At first, we expect the bank run to only be limited to smaller, less likely to be systemically important banks. Those are are most likely to see the largest withdrawals in the classic bank run that we haven't seen since 2008, despite the fact that this is exactly what Donald Trump actually predicted might happen during the 2020 election. Now, back then, and it doesn't matter if you're on the left or right, you might have thought it was hyperbole. I think almost everybody did, because back in 2020, I don't think many of us were thinking a massive recession was coming and that there would be bank failures, much like 1929. And so whether or not he was making that up or is a crystal ball that's what's happening. Now you're seeing the prominent lender for wineries disappear. So winery credit lines being frozen. Companies like Lemonade having money tied up in Silicon Valley Bank. Roku having 25% of their available cash tied up. Rocket Lab, $38 million of cash tied up. There's a particular, SoFi even has a $40 million lending facility tied up by Silicon Valley Bank. And usually money that's drawn on those lending facilities that isn't used in working capital has to we left deposited with the bank as a lending covenant, though we're not sure of that detail. SoFi, of course, b- bragging that their money is safe. But of course, we've never heard anybody lie to us before about how safe their money is. Hint, hint, Sam Bankman free just two days before. Don't worry, everything is fine. Or how about BlockFi, the same morning? Don't worry, everything is fine. Just eight hours later, oh no, everything's not fine. We are now bankrupt and we can't process withdrawals anymore. The worst thing that you want to hear from a bank is, don't worry, everything is fine in a bank run. Unfortunately, that's just the way the game is played. Banks have to fight for their own survival, so they say what they will to try to soothe people with money in banks. So what should you do? And what do we think is going to happen? Because right now, fears of contagion are running rampant. Larry Summers is warning of severe economic consequences if regulators don't smooth it. Venture capitalists who have a lot of money tied up in startups that could go bankrupt if they can't get their money out of Silicon Valley Bank are scrambling on Twitter, saying it's the regulators who were asleep at the wheel. That it's the regulators' fault that Silicon Valley Bank was able to get away with terrible risk management procedures that led to the collapse of Silicon. Silicon Valley Bank. Quite frankly, there is a ton of finger-pointing. Even 180 tech companies sent a letter to Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the United Kingdom, begging Jeremy Hunt to intervene. And guess what he said in the United Kingdom for Silicon Valley's branches there? Sorry, we ain't bailing you out. So, what do we think is going to happen in America? Is it possible that the loss of deposits by consumers at the Silicon Valley Bank have the potential to cripple the entire sector and set the ecosystem back 20 years and destroy potentially 10 years of innovation in America as the CEO of Y Combinator wants you to believe? Is it possible that the 16th largest bank in America will end up leading to a disaster financial crisis in the United States? And ultimately, whose fault is it? Well, Let's get into all of this and more. We're specifically going to refer to history. We are going to refer to what is happening with hedge fund buyouts. We're going to refer to Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen. We're going to talk about a potential backstop fund. We're going to talk about where Ro Khanna gets his information wrong. And we're going to talk about what you should do if you are associated with the banks. This is very important. What you should do will be coming up as well. As always, this channel is only sponsored by the programs on Building Your Wealth. Those are linked down below. If you haven't checked them out yet, learn from my perspective. If you like my perspective, if you find it unique, check out the programs. Zero to Millionaire Real Estate Investing, huge, very popular course right now because people believe there are going to be opportunities of a lifetime to buy real estate very soon. Get educated now. Stocks and Psychology of Money, the most popular course and also the course that's most often bundled with Zero to Millionaire Real Estate if you're looking to build your income as an employee or entrepreneur, LLCs, liability, growth strategies, negotiation tra- strategies, check out the Elite Hustlers course. And then of course there are other programs as well. So check those out, link down below. Use at the St. Paddy's coupon. When that expires, prices will be going up as usual. Prices tend to trend up and you have a price guarantee that promises you, you will not have a lower price in the future. Otherwise you'd get the difference back. But generally, the courses are on a straight path up when it comes to pricing. So, what do we need to talk about first? Let's briefly touch on hedge fund buyouts. What's happening right now with startups is startups are realizing that they have statements that say, hey man, look, we got a statement and uh, our statement says we have $10 million at the bank. We need that working capital Monday, otherwise we're going bankrupt. And what are some hedge funds doing? They're coming in and saying, write us all of the rights to this account that has $10 million. We will give you $6 million right now. That is called a hedge fund buyout, where a hedge fund literally swoops in and says, here's $6 million, write your entire account over to us. The benefit to the startup is they get at least some access to their capital without having to wait potentially weeks or months to find out what happens once they're above the uh, the 250K FDIC limits or the other limits, depending on how your accounts are structured. Now, the benefit to the hedge fund is if they end up getting a larger bailout, say a 70, 80, 90%, or even 100% backstop, the hedge fund gets that other up to $4 million. Just in this example, those hedge fund buyouts are happening now because businesses are actually panicking that they might go bankrupt if they don't have access to at least some of their capital. And folks, this has happened before in history. Obviously, this has happened back in the 2008 financial crisis. There's no doubt about that. And in nominal terms, we have seen this happen recently as well because consider that in nominal terms, we've had just a wee bit of inflation here. So when we compare the current banking failure of Silicon Valley Bank to banking failures of 2008, it looks a little scary. It's not something you want to look at, but I'm going to show you anyway. Look on screen now. Look at Silicon Valley's $209 billion asset failure, which almost rivals the $307 billion bank failure of Washington Mutual, also known as WAMU, that ended up being bought up by J.P. Morgan Chase. I was actually part of that because I personally had banks at WAMU that ended up being converted to JP Morgan assets, which JP Morgan today is the largest bank in the country with over $3.3 trillion in assets. It's absolutely insane. But what does history tell us? Well, the first thing we could do is we could look at the history of 1991. And 1991 gives us some insights into not only Jerome Powell's opinion on bank bailouts, but we also learn what actually ended up happening in 1991. Let's go ahead and start with Jerome Powell. Take a look at what Jerome Powell uh, did and said uh, back in a book uh, written by Hawks Doves, or actually titled Hawks Doves and Jaybird. Bird. <laughs> anyway, take a look at this page here. What you find here is a Harvard academic whom Powell reported to came down firmly on uh, one side. Now, this is, this is uh, a Harvard academic here. And this individual whom Powell reported to, in other words, Powell's boss, came down firmly on one side. Powell's boss hated bailouts. And Powell huddled with the federal governors uh, or or these various different governors uh, at the Treasury Department about uh, where we had the uh, boss of Jerome Powell pounding the table, insisting that depositors take a haircut and pay for the sins of the bank. If we always run to the rescue, he said, it creates a moral hazard. So in other words, Jerome Powell grew up his financial knowledge when? Here, in 1991, when he was just beginning his career in in essentially monetary and, and fiscal policy. And his boss told us that banks should not be bailed out and neither should depositors. The reason for that was it creates the impression that the government will always run to the rescue and it creates something known as moral hazard, which is a term the insurance industry uses to refer to people who take risks knowing they're protected against larger losses. Now, what I think is fascinating about this is, think about this yourself. If you have accidental damage protection for, let's say, your iPhone, you're much more likely to take your iPhone on the roller coaster and video yourself because if you damage it, you're insured anyway. This is the same thing, obviously on a different scale, that also happens in our economy. When banks believe that the government is going to come in and save depositors, then what happens? Banks are more likely to take on risky debt and make risky loans because at the end of the day, the depositors will end up being protected anyway, whether they have more money than the FDIC insurance limits or not. And this is where Jerome Powell's boss, Insisted that depositors end up taking a haircut to pay for the sins of the bank, and this is important because this is the same kind of discussion that is very likely happening today. We don't think that people who have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars at, uh, at uh, the FDIC or uh, over the FDIC limit at uh, SVB are going to lose all of their money. But consider this: let's say. Uh, that the bank, Silicon Valley Bank, has seven, uh, has enough money to cover 70% deposits above the FDIC limit. And let's say you're a startup with $10,250,000 at the bank. Well, $250,000 gets covered by FDIC, so let's kill that and say you have $10 million above the limit. And now potentially through an FDIC guided liquidation of the bank, it's possible that the individual or the business with $10 million could get seven million dollars back this is an example of receiving a haircut on a deposit at a bank now some people say why is it the responsibility of an individual or a business to take a haircut well it is that individual or business whom technically received the benefits and choice of working with that bank And in a capitalistic environment, whether it is right or wrong, a depositor who shares in the benefits of the bank may also have to share in the risks of the bank. And this is exactly the kind of discussion that's going to be happening now, because if federal regulators bail out every depositor to 100%, it reiterates that, hey, as long as you're in the top 16 of banks, don't worry, the government will just come in and bail you out even if you had terrible risk management procedures at the bank, which Silicon Valley Bank did. We'll talk about those in a different segment. But here's what we think uh, will happen. and, And this went on here. So other folks in the discussion argued that if uninsured depositors take a haircut, there will end up being a run on every American bank when they open on Monday. And all those money center banks will be at our door. Do you really want to run that test? And ultimately, without dissent, Powell and Crew chose to bail out banks in 1991. Now, that's actually really interesting because the discussion showed there was a thought that depositors should take a haircut and not everything should be bailed out. And we just got some hints from Janet Yellen about what our government might be thinking about doing today. But let's go ahead and jump into this first. This is a piece from 1991. This 1991 piece from the New York Times shows us the following. Acting to avert a run on one of the nation's largest banking companies, the federal government today seized the Bank of New England and two affiliated banks and said it would protect all depositors until the bank could be sold. The rescue is likely to cost taxpayers $2.3 billion. Listen to that. If the government bails out Silicon Valley Bank, it's likely to cost taxpayers money. Now, there's been some talk that maybe it wouldn't. Don't worry. It will. It will cost taxpayer money, taxpayers money, and we will talk about it here. Now, Jandy Yellen did just say we're not going to do that again, referring to bailouts, but she gave some hints about what they're potentially going to do. Let me first continue on with 1991. In 1991, there was a bank run of $1 billion being withdrawn over two days. On Friday in America... billion were withdrawn from Silicon Valley Bank on just the Friday. Think about the magnitude of that. Back in 1991, you had just $500,000 per day withdrawn, and that led to the government essentially creating a too-big-to-fail bailout. On Friday, we had 84 times the bank run of that. And that is why many are scratching their head going, wait a second. Usually, usually when the FDIC takes over a bank, you know what they do? They wait until 5 p.m. on Friday. They take the bank over. They operate over the weekend to officially take over the bank. And then what? They reopen Monday. Now, when did the FDIC take over Silicon Valley Bank? At about 8 52 a.m pacific time on friday in other words regulators went into this bank early friday morning and potentially late thursday and said this is so bad we're not even going to wait until the day is over we are going to shut the doors of the bank just 52 minutes after the bank opened and potentially in some cases banks don't even open until 9 a.m so potentially this bank got shut before it ever even opened that day depending on the branch. Uh, So anyway, so we talked about uh, uh, Powell's boss. We talked a little bit about uh, uh, potentially Janet Yellen. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But take a look at this. Bank of New England was the 33rd largest bank in America at the time. The Silicon Valley Bank is the 16th largest bank in America. Big difference. So the bank is twice as big as a ranking factor as uh, the uh, New York or or the New England bank that was bailed out was in 1991. But there are also banks that did not get bailed out. And look at what happened to them. Here, in 1990, the Freedom National Bank of New York in Harlem, one of the nation's largest minority-owned institutions, was not bailed out. And as the bank collapsed, the FDIC ended up deciding to only make good on 50 cents on a dollar for all accounts larger than the then FDIC limit. A 50 cent haircut was created for banks in 1990. That's actually surprising. and It is something that could happen today. But here's something else that happened in the early 1990s. Governors, like the governor of Rhode Island, ended up swooping in and actually preemptively shutting down local banks and credit unions for fears that they might not be solvent. So in other words, you could literally have regulators come in and just close every local bank, potentially, I'm not saying they will, but it's possible. You could potentially have regulators come in, close every local bank and say, give us a few weeks. We need to figure out what's going on. This is why it's incumbent upon you to probably get your money out of local and regional and credit union banks that are local. I understand credit unions are different. We'll talk about that in a different segment. But most people do not differentiate between credit unions and regional banks. They just go, uh, not JP Morgan, not Bank of America, not Wells. Okay, let's move. But honestly, even Bank of America and Wells are trending on Twitter for people frustrated that their bank does not have enough cash on hand for them to actually withdraw money. Now, even though those banks are deemed to be too big to fail and stand under the Basel III statutory requirements of substantially stronger stress tests, uh, so technically you shouldn't have to withdraw your money from those large banks, people are freaking out that branches are actually running out of cash. Now, do keep in mind, branches do not have an unlimited amount of cash. So the best thing you can do to guarantee that you can get your money out of a facility is come in with a bank account and routing number and two forms of ID and ask that it be wired out of your account. It's like an electronic funds transfer that can happen same day, usually if you go in your bank before 1 p.m. Pacific time. And generally, since it's probably going to take time, you'll probably have to show up at like 8 or 9 to actually get it done. If you can initiate your wires online, maybe that's even easier. But what did Janet Yellen just tell us? Well, let's jump into exactly what she just said, because, well, we need to know about it. Not only do we need to know about it, but we want to know about it because ultimately, Janet Yellen, she the boss. She the boss. So, Janet Yellen. Uh, and, and this, she had about a 10-minute clip on with Face the Nation this morning. I'm just going to sum it up for you because I, I, I respect your time. I'm also going to sum up what Ro Khanna said about the Silicon Valley Bank uh, uh, right after that and the collapse. So we're going to go through both of those. But what did Janet Yellen say this morning? Janet Yellen told us that they are paying attention to exactly what's happening at Silicon Valley Bank and they are coming up with a plan. Now, this is really interesting. She said that they will not bail out banks like they did in 2008, but there is a nuance there. Generally now, especially if you look on Twitter or in the financial news media, you're going to see the word bailout be different from Uh, a protection of depositors, especially the venture capitalists who are getting screwed, they're making this very clear distinction. Hey, a bailout is when you bail out the owners of the bank, like shareholders, bondholders, people who have bank preferred stock, basically people who are associated with the profits of the bank. That's deemed to be a bailout these days on social media. Whereas protecting depositors is what people are clamoring for. And the idea here is that if as long as there's no quote-unquote bailout of the profit holders, hey, we could protect depositors. So what did Janet Yellen say when she was asked about protecting depositors? She said, quote, we're working timely on a solution. She was specifically asked, will you have a solution before the Asian markets open today, Sunday, Sunday afternoon? She said, we're working timely. Well, what kind of plans are you working on, Janet Yellen? What was the answer? The answer is, we're working on some kind of solution to prevent contagion. That's what she said. She did not say that they would protect depositors. She made it very clear that they would not bail out this bank. So let's write this down and try to picture this a little bit more clearly. So... On the full left side, you have what's known as basically a full bailout. This is where you come swoop in and you really you pr- you try to protect shareholders, bondholders, anyone associated with a bank. In the middle, you have what's known as protecting depositors, right? People who have deposits on hand with the bank. Protecting them is sort of the middle approach. However, the middle approach is likely to cost money, right? This costs tax money. And obviously, so would the full bailout cost money. So, what is she potentially considering? A contagion fund. That is what's being talked about right now. A contagion fund. So, what is a contagion fund? A contagion fund is basically a way of saying this Look, here's Silicon Valley Bank, let the FDIC liquidate the bank and give people whatever they can from the liquidations of the bank. If that's everybody with up to $250,000 gets 100% of their money, and everybody else above that gets 70%, then you know what, maybe, so be it. Let Silicon Valley Bank fail. Now you eliminate moral hazard, you create pain, depositors take a haircut, but you risk contagion. Contagion means you risk the potential that people go to other banks and start taking their money out. So, what could a contagion fund do? Well, a contagion fund could say the following. It could be the Treasury Department saying, "Hey, we are confident the following X banks uh will have uh will have their deposits backed 100%. And it could basically be a list of maybe the top 300 banks as a thesis, right? Because what the Treasury Department doesn't want to do is create contagion to where everybody just goes to the top four banks. Even though that's probably what you should do, it is likely that the Treasury Department does not want to create an oligopoly. An oligopoly is basically where you have like oil companies or TV companies like Charter or at and or whatever, controlling very few options for you to actually receive goods and services, in this case, banking goods and services. So, if the Treasury Department creates a fund, a contagion fund, and says, hey, these top 300 banks, let's say, except SVB, are good, just an idea here, and we are confident with an X billion dollar amount of backstop that you won't lose your deposits at these banks, fantastic. Now you could limit people fleeing those top 300 banks. And basically the other ones that are not listed could potentially go into some form of temporary receivership. Now, this is not guaranteed. This on the right here is just an idea. Janet Yellen has not given us an idea uh, or, or uh, has not given us a, a very clear guide in terms of what the treasury is going to do. She has just said, we want to limit contagion and we will not bail out Silicon Valley Bank. This is what we know. This idea about a treasury contagion fund is what is being talked about. And it is my speculation that they could come out and say, hey, we're going to backstop and promise the top X banks. It could be the top 300. It could be the top 30. It could be the top 20. Who knows? The point is the the last thing we want is people going into every single bank and trying to rip their money out. You don't want people lining up at JP Morgan trying to goink their money out because all of a sudden they're afraid of banks, right? That's what you don't want to happen. But it does look like a bailout for SVB is unlikely. Could there be a backstop of deposits? Yes, but that is likely to cost taxpayer money. Ro Khanna this morning on Face the Nation said, oh, no, 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 no. We can backstop 100% of deposits without spending a dime of taxpayer money. He said that because he doesn't seem to understand financials. Now that's okay. I don't know if he's looked at the financials. Maybe he's only been told about these. I actually happen to like Rokana. I think he's a very reasonable person. He's a California Democrat. I know a lot of people don't like California Democrats, but of the congressmen and women, now there are, Rokanah is one of the, the the people with a good heart uh, and and actually some reasonable opinions. I just think he's wrong about what he's saying. The reason I think he's wrong about what he's saying is because in my opinion, it's very simple. Okay. I'm going to make this very simple for you. Here is the financial statement for Silicon Valley bank as of December 31st, 2022. And let's look at exactly what they told us. We've done this before, so I don't want to sound redundant, but I want to make it extremely clear. Let's go over here. Total liabilities. What do we have folks? We have one hundred ninety-five four nine eight. Okay, sounds good. What do we have up here? Total assets: two eleven seven ninety three. Oh, but wait! Hold on a second. We need to look at these held to maturity securities, which might be liquidated. And we actually have to discount this number. So ninety one three two one minus seven six one six nine. That leaves us with a reduction of assets of fifteen one five two. Now. In addition to reducing assets by $15 billion, 0.152, you also have to add the following discounts. These financial statements are 72 days old, which means the losses are actually probably substantially greater. In addition to that, you have to consider the liquidation prices of the rest of the assets, which means, for example, look at this. See this item right here that's called goodwill? Sorry, dude, goodwill of 375 is going to be subtracted as well. What else is going to get subtracted? Other intangibles, things we can't sell. 136 is going to go away. What about this lease? Nobody gives a crap about the lease. You can't liquidate a lease. Let's get rid of that. How about all this equipment that they have? Well, you're going to get pennies on the dollar for that. So let's say, let's take a 350 off on that. We'll leave about 15% left on that. Well, what about all of the leftover loans and the other losses that they're going to have just by the time that went by? You're probably going to have, I would guess, another at least at least 10 percent reduction on your maturities, at least that. So all of a sudden, when I take 211.793 uh, and I subtract another 1.5 bill, I subtract uh, 375, I subtract 136, I subtract 335, I subtract 350, and this is me being Generous with another ten percent over here on on top of this one of this fifteen bill. This is generous. That generously puts you uh, at at a position where uh, now this two eleven right here actually looks a lot more like fifteen one five two. There we go. It actually looks like one ninety five. 139 which is less than the total debts the company has so in other words as of this old statement here the company is upside down now do we think that the company is only upside down by this let's pray because if the company is only upside down to this tune the company could probably pay out somewhere around 99 percent on all deposits over 250k this would be a dream scenario what I've just described is the dream scenario, okay? So this idea that taxpayers won't have to pay a dime is a dream, and it ain't gonna happen, okay? Even even in this dream scenario, there's still gonna be some dimes getting paid. But anyway, wait a second. What we did is just said an extra 10% losses on the 15 they already have. Let's start over for just a quick moment and show you how nasty this gets. You ready for this? Let's erase all this stuff that we just drew right here. And let's go over here and look at all their maturities that they have. Well, they have $76.1 billion. Let's just look at those, $76.1 billion of held to maturity securities, plus available for sale, $26 billion. They have $102 billion of maturities. If those need to be written down, another 20 to 30% in a fire sale, let's go with 30% for giggles, that means you're actually down another 70 uh, or another $30 billion on top of what we showed over here. That means you're potentially sitting at only $165 billion in assets compared to about $195 in liabilities. That, in that example, represents about $0.15 cents on the dollar of depositor money evaporating. So the point is, this bank is insolvent. If the government bails out Silicon Valley Bank, they will be paying money to bail this bank out. The taxpayer will pay for any bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. And that is why I think Ro is wrong with he's saying. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I don't think I am. So, what's next? What should you do? Well, the first thing you should do is if you have exposure to Silicon Valley Bank, you should consider going to the FDIC.gov website. Just Google FDIC calculator. Google it and you'll see where you can actually calculate what your exposure is to uh, the FDIC limits if you have more than $250,000 in deposits. The next thing that in my opinion people should do is get out of the small banks. I hate to say it and yes, I'm including credit unions. I'm including fintech apps who invest your money into small banks on your behalf. If you're FinTech, like a Chime, an Acorns, an M1 Finance, or whatever, is depositing money into another small regional bank, that is a risk in my opinion. Even SoFi, to some extent, is a small bank. Keep that in mind. It is a bank, it is a small bank, though. So just keep that in mind. Personally, and I'm not trying to create fear, I'm trying to prevent the loss of money for individuals who watch and support my channel. That's my goal. That's why I have courses on building your wealth. The goal is to help everybody build their wealth, and I would not risk having any of my money at a bank that is not a systemically important bank. What is the cutoff for a systemically important bank? In other words, too big to fail. Well, thanks to Donald Trump, we have that answer. Donald Trump actually changed with Congress the laws of systemically important banks by requiring that banks be considered systemically important, not at $50 billion like they used to be. Instead, they listened to CEOs like those at Silicon Valley Bank who lobbied for that limit to be raised. And now the limit for a systemically important bank is $250 billion in assets. In other words, under the Trump admin, the bar for a systemically important bank was raised to $250 million. Silicon Valley Bank was at 208. And Silicon Valley Bank lobbied to have that level raised because they didn't want the additional regulation. So the people on Twitter clamoring and screaming and saying, oh, well, the regulators were asleep at the wheel. Wrong. Congress and the presidential administration led regulators to be pulled away from banks like Silicon Valley Bank at the request of banks like Silicon Valley Bank And that CEO is the same person who just dumped millions of dollars of shares just weeks before this collapse. But don't worry, their chief uh, uh, managing officer, their CMO, their marketing manager, their CMO that worked at Silicon Valley Bank happened to have a very strong and robust history of also working for Lehman Brothers back when they collapsed. You can't make this stuff up. So, to be crystal clear... I would not have a dime of my money in smaller banks. Certainly not if I had more than $250,000. Some, if you want to maintain a relationship, hey, maybe you keep a few thousand dollars. And I know this is offensive to a lot of smaller banks, and I know a lot of people think, hey, that's just going to create more more fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But here's the reality. It costs you nothing to move your money. It could cost you nothing. A lot of money, tens of thousands to potentially millions of dollars, depending on how much you have deposited on behalf of your business or yourself, by not acting. The lazy thing to do is not act. The smart thing to do is, in my opinion, consolidate where there's the least risk, where you know JPOW is on your side. We always say, don't fight the Fed. And where is the Fed with the money printer? They're at the most systemically important banks: JPM, Bank of America, Wells city. So on. That's my consideration. Ultimately, what you do is up to you, but I hope no matter what you think, you subscribe to the channel, support the channel and share this video. Okay. Let's go on to the next topic. Boy, there's a lot to talk about today. Mm-hmm. All right next up we have to talk about the top 10 risky banks now uh by by one measure this is very uh very interesting in my opinion uh so let's pull this up and do a little bit of explaining all right this she'll take just one moment uh da, 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 da. <laughs> did i ask kathy wood about roku you know this this wasn't like a, hey let me pick apart your thesis on everything uh, so, so no, this was uh, that was not that was not the intention. Okay, so now I'm going to teach something that's a little complicated, but it's going to show us potentially the ten most risky banks according to this one particular measure. It's quite interesting. All right, there are ten banks that are risky, just like Silicon Valley Bank. A lot of folks want us to believe that what happened at Silicon Valley Bank is unlikely to happen at other banks. The reason for that is they're under the impression that nobody else has the similar kind of exposure that they do to startups or venture capital money freezing up. But the sad reality is there is a formula that we can use, and this is not a foolproof formula. It's not a guarantee that these banks are going to have trouble. But it is a formula that gives us an idea of how do other banks compare to the Silicon Valley Bank. And the way the formula works, and I'm going to very much simplify this because it's very, very complicated, is we're going to take something known as the AOCI. So let's draw, uh, let's hold on a second. Let's go, uh, where's my little pencil here? Uh, Got my pen, there we go. All right, we're gonna take the AOCI. This stands for Accumulated Other Comprehensive Income. Income. So if the income is negative, it's potentially a problem, right? We are going to take that number and we are going to divide it by the total capital. So the total sack of cash these companies have minus that loss. And we're going to come up with a ratio. That's important. We want to know what that ratio is because whoever has the highest ratio would imply greater financial risk, right? So let me make this a little bit more clear because I understand when you see this formula at first, it looks complicated, okay? So the way it works again is AOCI over uh, total capital minus AOCI. So uh, in other words, if my losses are... $10, and I have $110, and my AOCI is 10, well, then the ratio here is 10 over 100, 10%, right? Positive or negative, doesn't really matter. In this case, we'll just call it negative because AOCI, in this case, is a loss, so it's negative. Okay, that is simple. I I don't want you to get lost there at all. It's basically just a ratio. And the bottom line is, the bigger that number, the worse, okay? Very, very simple. Now, in English, what does this mean? What this means is, what kind of losses do we have? Uh, And when we take those losses, uh, uh, how does that compare to the cash bag left after we consider those losses? So in other words, once we realize those losses, how much money we got left, man? That's all I want to know. Losses divided by how much money left. And then the bigger the percentage of losses compared to how much money is left, the riskier, right? So bigger percentage, bad. <laughs> That's simple. That's what we're trying to do. And so Bloomberg put together this phenomenal list uh, of banks that, uh, that have, uh, they put together 10 banks. Uh, and in this list of 10 banks, they show us which banks are potentially, uh, you know, looking at the worst sort of ratios. And I'm going to show you exactly those. So these are the worst 10, according to Bloomberg. These are their numbers, not mine. So don't sue me, bro. The number 10th worst bank was Prosperity Bankshare out of Houston, Texas. Uh, They had a ratio of negative 0.1%. Actually seems pretty nominal. The bank has somewhere around $37 million in assets, okay? Well, that's not that bad. So you kind of get, get the picture there. On one side, you're going to see, hey, how many assets do they have, right? In that case, it was like 37 million or whatever. Uh, and and then how does it compare? How do their losses compare to that, right? That's all we're doing here, we're trying to make it very, very simple. Okay, now let's look at the next one. And keep in mind, we're going to find Silicon Valley Bank on this list. But what do I want you to pay attention to is where on the list is Silicon Valley Bank and which bank is actually worse than Silicon Valley Bank. And I hate to say it, it's a pretty damn popular one. All right, ready for this? All right. Number two, First Foundation, negative 1%. You can see that right here, negative 1%. First Republic Bank, 1.9%. That is a San Francisco bank in California. First foundation was the Dallas, Texas branch. Now I do have sort of a, a trick by the way, and, and I don't know if this is like, like mean or evil, But if you're trying to get your money out of a bank, I think one of the best things you could do is if you go queue up at the bank is say you need to make a deposit. Uh, Maybe that's evil, but uh, it's what I would be thinking about doing. It's like, hey, I need to make a deposit. Uh, And then like go deposit like $20 into one account and go withdraw a ton of money out of another account. (laughs) See what I'm saying? I don't know. I think you might be able to to skip the line a little bit. Next, New York, Community, Bank Corp. Negative, 6.6%. Assets, Uh, we're at 90 uh, 90 mil over here. What do we got over here? Dime Community, Dime Community sitting at 7.5%. What's the next one? Sandy Spring Bank Corp, 8.2%. Next one, Pacific Premier Bank Corp from Irvine, California. Negative, 8.7%. Customers Bank Corp negative 10.4%. Silicon Valley bank, negative 10.5%. See where it's sitting? Like that's pretty close to some of these other ones. Again, doesn't necessarily mean the other ones are going to hit a bank run, right? But 10.5%. Okay. You ready for this next one in a worse position than Silicon Valley bank, Columbia financial 10.5% to the negative. And here it is. You you ready? ready for this? This is a good one. You ready for this one? Check out the programs on Building Your Wealth, link down below, and make sure to take advantage of the coupon code for the programs because we've got a St. Paddy's Day coupon code for everything from Zero to Millionaire, our most popular course, Zero to Millionaire, bundled with stocks and psychology of money, or the other programs. Oh, no, it's actually Ally Financial. Ally Financial sits at negative 24%. Ally, folks, Ally. Yikes! Like everyone pitches Ally online, Ally, a Detroit, Michigan bank, shows an AOCI per Bloomberg, a four point uh, four point oh five bill, total equity of twelve point eight, a total assets of one ninety one point eight, but you're sitting at uh, uh, this this uh, this this negative twenty four percent ratio. The way they've calculated this at Bloomberg, I think that's that's crazy. Uh, so so absolutely wild, uh, but it's something to pay attention to. And I want to be clear, when I talked about total capital, talking about bank equity, uh, that gets a little bit more complicated. We don't have to go into this. These numbers are straight from Bloomberg. I didn't make up these numbers. I didn't calculate the numbers. I just copied them over, okay? But I want to explain them. And this is not to say that definitely Ally is at greater risk than Silicon Valley Bank. It's to say that, wow, there is risk in the banking system. And that risk could be where you are and so you want to be careful there's a reason i keep saying on this channel if you're at a smaller bank get out and i know people are are you know hating on me saying things like oh my gosh you're just creating fud but look we've played this game many times before i put my money where my mouth is i took my money out of the small banks over a month ago i had money and exposure to small banks over a month ago before any of this disaster because i'm like Rates are getting to the level where we could potentially start risking bank failures. I do not want to be a victim. So a month ago, I moved my money. Proof is in the pudding. Uh, And and look, I know some people are like, oh, but you know, that's the kind of fear that creates a bank. I don't care. Like ultimately you have to do what's best for yourself and that's protecting your own assets. It's not our problem. If a bank fails, it's their problem. It's not your problem. It's like playing with your livelihood is not what you should do. Otherwise, you end up on the streets and bankrupt. So keep that in mind. These are ten uh, uh, potential coming ba- uh, bank bailouts listed by, uh, by Bloomberg uh, or, or potentially other banks at risk. Just per this AOCI, the actual measure is AOCI divided by total equity capital minus AOCI. That's the, the fair value measure that they use. Remember, this does not mean these banks are going to have to be forced to liquidate. It just basically means they, they, they have a high level of paper losses. You can actually look up this money yourself at the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council National Information Center. Good Lord, that's a mouthful. Apparently, this evidence is taken from the Consolidated Financial Statements for Holding Companies Fiscal Year Y-9C filed with the Fed. Oh yeah, that's real easy to look up. But anyway, good luck. All uh, right, next up, we must continue to talk. Uh, somebody says Ally also holds a huge amount of car loans. Womp womp. OMG Ally, I was just thinking about opening an account with them. Hey, Look, all, all I generally recommend is just look at uh, biggest biggest banks. Largest banks. Let me see if I could just quickly. Uh, so, yeah, if you just type in largest banks, you get bank rate. Uh, that gives you the largest fifteen. Bank Strategist has a whole website on the largest banks, banks by assets under management. Bank Strategists. Let me see if I can find it again. Community banks, number and state. Oh my God, there's so many banks. Four thousand five hundred community active charters and fifty banks. Good or fifty states. There's so many. Thousands, man. Thousands. Crazy. Kevin, you are the best. not checker, smart. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, all right. Next up, we are going to talk about more pain. All right. Good Lord, there's so much to talk about. But it's okay. This is important. This is all very important in my opinion. What about credit loss provisions that Ally holds? Uh, you know, I haven't looked at their financials. I personally think that most of the credit, loss phys- uh, credit losses at banks are way understated. And I think that's risky. Uh, no, not all the banks get the simulations and stress tests. Only the top eight banks get the most severe stress tests. Top eight, that's it. Everyone else, it's like, we want less regulation. <laughs> okay, man. Okay. So what happens? Look at crypto. Look at what happens when there's zero regulation with the fraud that ended up being uh, FTX and when the disastrous collapses that we've seen at other, uh, uh, at other um, institutions like Voyager and BlockFi. It's terrible, right? That's what lack of regulation looks like. Look at what less regulation looks like in American banking. Also a fraud almost. Sad. It's really sad. So, uh, you know, and I'm not, a, I'm certainly not a shill for regulation, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty well regulated myself uh, as a, a licensed financial advisor, or someone who runs an active ETF, you know, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, working with the SEC or, or, or FINRA or Foresight or whatever. So, all right, next up, you ready for this? Uh, yes. Oh, this should be interesting. Oh, my gosh. All right. Stand by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. <laughs> what if there is no bailout of Silicon Valley Bank? What kind of crazy and insane contagion and shoes could we see drop in the coming weeks and months thanks to the disaster of the collapse of the 16th largest bank in the nation? In this video, I am going to analyze the debate around whether or not a bailout should be conducted and what is potentially likely to happen if a bailout is not conducted. First, it's incredibly important to recognize that there are thousands of firms, including 125, who just wrote a letter with Sequoia Capital, demanding a bailout of depositors in Silicon Valley, 180 firms in the United Kingdom who demanded a bailout of the Silicon Valley branch in the United Kingdom, which was promptly denied by the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Chairman. But, There are thousands of companies and people demanding and clamoring for a U.S. funded bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. And the reason is they point the fingers and say, well, Silicon Valley Bank is too big to fail and it's not fair that depositors should have to lose money. Even though it is the very bank, Silicon Valley Bank, who since 2015 has been begging regulators for less regulation. And that's what they got in 2018 with the Republican Congress and Trump. They got less regulation. The level to be considered a systemically important bank was moved from $50 billion of assets to $250 billion, which allowed Silicon Valley Bank to grow without the most intense regulatory stress tests that have existed since the 2008 financial crisis. Those really only reserved for approximately the top eight banks in the country. Now, those are really the too-big-to-fail ones, but the level of too-big-to-fail has been raised tremendously. And now, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's the regulator's fault, and depositors shouldn't be punished. And the reason people shouldn't be punished, they say, is because. It's not fair that people who just deposit their money with a bank uh, are now might have to suffer from closing their businesses, that people might not be able to get paid their payrolls, that thousands of job losses could occur, that we might have a 10-year setback uh, of, of, of innovation. We could see a banking environment that's set back by 20 years, and ultimately, in order to avoid contagion, we must bail out Silicon Valley Bank. That is what the venture capitalists are saying. And the venture capitalists, of course, being very, very loud and vocal voices, who happen to make a lot of money investing into venture capital firms and startups. After all, the bank is literally titled Silicon Valley Bank. So, the argument on one side is, look, the bank failed, whether it was because the regulators were at fault or the bank had bad management. Why punish the people depositing money with the bank? Punish the shareholders of the bank let the stock go to zero, let the preferred bonds go to zero, let any bonds or debts associated with the bank go to zero. Just protect people's deposits because if it's the right thing to do. And not only is that potentially the right thing to do, it also potentially prevents people from taking their money from all the smaller regional banks like First Republic or whatever else and credit unions and moving it into the big four banks or even the top eight banks. And the reason people might want to prevent that is we maybe don't want to create an oligopoly of banks We're kind of like you pick up the bone and you're like, yo, I want to buy TV service. Oh, I only have a choice between DISH, Charter, and AT&T. Really? I only get three options? Why aren't there more? That potentially is the direction that banking could go if we do not have a bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. And venture capitalists say that's bad. That's because venture capitalists kind of enjoy the riskier types of loans that were offered by Silicon Valley Bank. In other words, and this is an important counter-argument, the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank, the very businesses who were depositors at the bank, benefited from the riskier practices at the bank. So in other words, if you're a depositor at a bank that's offering you higher yields, better loans, White glove mortgages for the founders' homes of startups. White glove services because they want your money. credit lines that are the most flexible ever for startups. They're willing to lose money on startups more than any other bank. The underwriting standards are easier for actually providing you funding and capital, whether you're a venture capitalist, or whether you're private equity, or you're a startup yourself. Of course, the venture capital industry wants to see Silicon Valley Bank bailed out because they want those risky lending practices to continue. That is the pro-argument for bailouts. But the counter-argument is the following. If businesses and private equity and startups and venture capital were the recipient of benefits, then they should also share in the risk. If Silicon Valley Bank is liquidated and only ends up having 70 cents on every dollar above the FDIC-insured limit, then ultimately it's the depositors who benefited from those additional uh, uh, features, if you will, or lending features, who should also potentially share in the downfall of the bank. That is the downside argument. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not taking a position on this. I'm providing both arguments. In fact, take a look at this. Uh, now, I, I personally think this could be a slightly, uh, uh, you know, obviously everybody's got their bias here, but I want you to look at this particular report right here. This report right here talks about a further look into the SIVB funding pie chart shows an unusually high reliance on corporate and VC funding. Only the small red private uh, bank slice down here looks like traditional retail deposits. In other words, words, they were really beholden to the venture capital space, right? So maybe Silicon Valley is different. And and that's, you know, basically where the bank is uh, made their mistake is they focused on startups too much, right? Take a look at this, $173 billion of customer deposits at the end of 2022 uh, existed with about 152 billion uninsured deposits. Now I want you to listen to this line right here in pink because I think it's actually really important. It's fair, they say, it's fair to ask about the underwriting discipline of venture capital firms that put most of their liquidity in a single bank with this kind of risk profile. And that is something for you to consider. The people who have money in Silicon Valley Bank benefited from the looser standards of the bank, but that inherently increased the risk profile of that bank. And so if they had all or a lot of their money at that bank, they voted to risk that money for the benefits they got at the bank. Now, that might not be true for everyone, but that is the counter-argument that says maybe taxpayers shouldn't be responsible for bailing out businesses who didn't manage their cash in the most risk-free manner. That is incumbent upon them, not the American taxpayer. That is the counter-argument. Now, of course, go back to the pro-bailout argument. On the pro-bailout argument, you say, look, well, hey, if you don't bail out uh, Silicon Valley Bank, fine let the shoe drop, what's going to happen? Lending will tighten. Thousands of people will lose their jobs. Credit cards will become tighter. You'll probably see risk premium and spreads actually rise. That is, mortgage rates will go up, credit card rates will go up, car loans will go up. As treasuries go down, that can happen because spreads rise in a risk-on environment. Or sorry, like a risk-off environment is the correct way to say that. Basically, when times get riskier, it's scarier. uh, Even if treasury yields fall, you could see banks charge more money for credit cards, auto loans, uh, home loans, commercial loans, whatever, because they're taking more of a risk profile, right? And really what they're doing is they're saying, well, fine, if, if the government is go- isn't going to bail us out when we make risk or take risk, what are we going to do less of? We're going to take less risk. And the, I- the irony of venture capitalists shouting, there are going to be thousands of job losses if you don't bail out Silicon Valley Bank. The irony is, what is Jerome Powell trying to do? I hate to say it. But Jerome Powell has been very clear to us, A, there will be pain. Yes, we want to minimize that pain, but basically, the unemployment rate needs to go up. And we need people to stop spending money. Well, what a fantastic way, potentially, in the evil eyes of people who say don't bail out Silicon Valley Bank, to basically force that to happen. If Silicon Valley Bank doesn't get bailed out, you're going to see a massive set of job loss, you're going to see a lot of money shift to larger banks, but you're also going to see a lot of money that now isn't being spent in the economy anymore. Now, all of a sudden, if everybody else panics a little bit, what potentially disappears? Inflation. Now, how deep does that contagion go? Well, this is where I believe the Treasury Department is working on what they call a backstop fund. Not necessarily for Silicon Valley Bank, but potentially for other banks. Maybe they make a list of the top 30 banks and say, hey, look, we think these are the safest. That's all we're gonna say. That's maybe all they have to do. Now you don't go down to an oligopoly of four banks, but you go down to like maybe 30 banks, right? A lot of banks are gonna go bankrupt in the cycle. Maybe that's capitalism. Maybe the evil argument. Then this is the evil argument. I understand this, okay? And I'm, I'm not taking a side because obviously one is evil and one has a heart, okay? The evil argument is let the banks fail Let the people lose their money. You know, maybe that's 50 cents on the dollar. Let the job losses happen because it'll kill inflation. It'll make unemployment go up. And it'll send a big middle finger to the banking industry and go, look, you wanted less regulation. You better have had better risk management profiles. And if you didn't, sorry, you played the game. You lose. Not my problem. That's the evil argument. And by the way, thank you for inflation going down. That's the evil argument. Okay, it's also the capitalistic argument. The other argument is, no, 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 This will create a very deep financial recession and people are going to lose their jobs and we're going to set innovation back 10 years. Let's be real. I think there's a lot of hyperbole on both sides. Do I really think innovation is going to be set back 10 years because a bank doesn't get bailed out? No. Are there going to be a lot of job losses and bankruptcies? Yes. But guess what that'll lead to? a rise of new startups and new ideas who pick up those losses, right? But again, the have a heart argument is, bail the bank out, guarantee deposits over 250K, which basically means FDIC, the government will just come in and bail everything out anyway. It creates moral hazard, it creates more risk, and it sets up for potentially a worse and more risky environment in the future, because now all the banks can say, oh, they didn't need risk management and they got bailed out, why don't we remove risk management procedures as well? And now you set up for potentially a worse and bigger bubble in the future. So what do I actually think is going to happen? This is my opinion. Now, keep in mind, my opinion, different from sort of these two scenarios I'm providing. My opinion, number one, get out of the small banks. Sorry, I'm not trying to share FUD about small banks, but the reality is I don't want you in two weeks to be like, dude, I can't get my money out of the small banks. And you're like, Kevin, why didn't you warn me? I'm making it crystal clear. I would not have my money in any of the small banks. I myself, as of a month ago, moved my money out of any small banks. So, number one, uh, I believe there will probably be a haircut of people who have deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. I think that is the, probably the, the dare I say, best, uh, I, I'd prefer to say the most likely outcome. I think that people who have up to 250K or the FDIC limits, which you could go to the FDIC.gov website to calculate if you have multiple accounts, what your FDIC limit is. I think that some depositors are going to get a haircut to the tune of 30 to 50%. If I had to guess right now, I'd probably guess you're going to have a 30% haircut. So if you have $10 million over FDIC limit, you probably get seven back. No guarantees. That's my thesis. Okay. Uh, And that's as all the assets are liquidated and you see a fire sale, you're going to see a lot of bond market volatility because of that. It's probably going to affect mortgage rates and MBS, CMBS, whatever. I think it's likely that you're going to see the forced receivership of many other banks. It's not just going to be Silicon Valley Bank. I think you'll probably have dozens of other banks that end up getting (laughs) locked up and the government's going to go, let's see your books. And they'll open them again when they're confident the bank is going to stop Uh, uh, risking bank assets. On Friday, before the bank closed down, Silicon Valley Bank gave older employees a big old bonus. Really? Now you're basically just taking people's deposits and giving them out to people as bonuses. Anyway, so I think you're going to see a lot of forced receiverships of a lot of banks. I think you are going to see some form of haircut because that doesn't mean everybody loses everything, but it sends the signal If you bank at a riskier bank, you risk losing some money. That's the way it works. And then I do think there's going to be a consolidation probably to the top, like, 10 banks. Probably the top eight banks. That's my thought. You know, the Treasury might try to backstop the top 30 banks outside of Silicon Valley Bank. They've already said they don't want to bail out Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, But but I do think uh, the loss won't be as bad. I do think there is still systemic risk Uh, You know, some people are saying, oh, this is just idiosyncratic. This is just this bank. Uh, I I think there is still some systemic risk that is system-wide risk in banking. And that's why I personally think it makes a lot of sense to consolidate to the big eight, biggest eight banks. Uh, I'll give you a list of those. Biggest banks in the United States. Anyway, uh, I do think people at Silicon Valley Bank are going to get a haircut. And I think both sides make a very good point that you want to limit the pain of people in job loss But at the same time, if you receive the benefits for the bank's funky lending standards, then you probably have to receive the benefit of sharing in the profits, AKA the benefits of loose lending, but unfortunately also the losses. Now, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know to what degree, right? Hopefully it's small, like the smaller the better, right? Because then it sends a signal and it also shows like, hey, like, yeah, if you're over the FDIC limit, like, you know, You're not going to get 100% bailed out. Top banks in order according to bankrate.com are Meet Kevin's Programs on Building Your Wealth. linked down below with a St. Paddy's Day coupon expiring next week. Most popular program is the Stocks and Psychology of Money program often bundled with the Zero to Millionaire Real Estate Investing Program. If you know nothing about real estate, consider getting the Zero to Millionaire Real Estate Investing course because you'll learn everything I know about real estate investing. And I actually think there's a lot of money for you to be made in real estate investing. Ooh, ooh. Now, top eggs. Number one, JP Morgan, over $3.2 trillion of assets under management. Bank of America, number two, 2.4. Citigroup, number three, 1.7. Wells Fargo, number four, 1.7. U.S. Bancorp, 585 billion. Number six, PNC Financial Services, 552. Truist Bank, 546. Goldman Sachs, 486. Capital One Financial 453. That's number nine. TD Group 386 billion. Number 11 Bank of New York Mellon 324. Number 12 State Street 298. Number 13 Citizens Financial 226. That's it for banks that are over the 250. Uh, oops, actually, Citizens is at 226, so that's actually lower. So ending at State Street, the top 12 are over the 250 billion systemically important banks uh, threshold, and then only the top eight are the ones that get the most extreme Fed stress tests, which ends with Goldman Sachs. Uh, First Republic, by the way, is about the same size as Silicon Valley Bank. It's sitting at about 212 billion. Womp, womp, womp. So now some people argue, oh, well, maybe a private business will just bail out this bank. How the hell is a private business going to bail out the bank when you have absolutely no idea how much of the toxic assets are going to sell for? Is it possible? Yes. But in my opinion, for a private business to bail out Silicon Valley bank, the discount is going to be even larger for depositors, even larger. So I, I, I don't know, because they're gonna want a discount to protect themselves. Uh, That's probably more so than the discount that's actually needed. (sighs) Anyway, it's a disaster. My take. Alright. Alright. Last segment, and then I make coffee and go to the Elite Hustlers live stream. Oh, dear. Alright. Stand by for... Not the Closing bear. Uh ha, 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 ha. All right. One sec. <laughs> uh, will, <laughs> will Silicon Valley Bank affect your OnlyFans? Good Lord. Uh, okay. Tomorrow is going to be an SH9T show. It's going to be really entertaining. Uh, but it's also going to be kind of scary. So, standby, by oh, got it. All right. Here we go. Why did Silicon Valley Bank fail and were there red flags to indicate the failure was coming? The answer is remarkably yes. In fact, by some measures, Silicon Valley Bank was not solvent as of the fourth quarter of 2022, as evidenced by their financial statements, which we've reviewed multiple times on the channel before. But in this video, what I'd like to show you is a thread by an individual whom I've had my criticisms on before. And that's because some of the things he says I think are pretty dang well put together. Some of the things are a little bit bearishly manipulated. Uh, I've made a video talking about how this individual has sort of bearishly manipulated some information and basically called him out on YouTube and Twitter to find out where the actual numbers are as a way of saying, hey, I could be wrong here, help me rebuild your model, and I never heard back. Now, that's not to say that there was any kind of intentional mistake in previous data. It's just to say that what you're about to hear is this person's opinion. It could be wrong, but this set of information actually sounds relatively reasonable. Ready for it? Here we go. MacroAlf on Twitter. Silicon Valley Bank does not deserve a bailout. A deep look at their financial statements reveal how horrific they were at risk management. And in my opinion, incompetence explains only part of it. Moral hazard must have been at play. A thread. What Silicon Valley Bank did with their portfolio is either a signal of enormous incompetence or outright moral hazard at play. Gamble away billions as policymakers rescue you. I can't Believe the incompetence reached at these levels. All right. As a result of regulation, banks have flushed their balance sheets with trillions of dollars of bonds. Such a large amount of bonds on the balance sheet also comes with risks like interest rate risk. And over here, he explains how you can hedge that interest rate risk. Now, I'm not going to explain that in his way because it's very complicated. It's not worth talking about for the point of this. So let me simplify it. Basically, if you're a bank... You want to pay people interest through uh, CDs, uh, certificates of deposits, or yield on accounts. You do that so you could attract customers, right? Makes sense. Somebody deposits 100 bucks. If you give them 4 bucks, that's a 4% yield. That's pretty cool. Now, what are you going to do with that $100? Well, ideally, you go invest it in such a way that you make more than 4%. Now, that means your $100 isn't immediately available for you to withdraw it. This is why when a lot of people try to go withdraw money at the same time, the bank's like, oh goodness, we don't have enough cash for you because we invested it into bonds or other assets. The problem is, in a rising interest rate environment, those assets lose value. And so now all of a sudden, if people liquidate and get their cash out of the banks, and then the bank says, oh no, we have to sell these investments we made, but rates went up, which means the value of our investments went down, we now have even less money to cover all of the deposits. And that's exactly the kind of stuff that was evident on their financial statements. You could see that very, very easily by, for example, laws that allow these banks to say they have $91 billion of assets, but the reality is this is what they actually show on their their financial statement. But on the left side, they actually say, oh, uh, sorry, that's actually only worth $76 million because it's lost money. But the reason we're going to say it's worth $91 billion is because we're holding them to maturity. These assets are not available for sale, so, so we don't need to write them down. That's basically what they're saying. Okay, got it. Now, there are ways to hedge that interest rate risk by doing swaps. I'm not going to explain what swaps are or how those work because it's really not important to the story. So let's keep going here. What does Macroalf say? He says, Silicon Valley Bank did not hedge interest rate risk at all. And he shows this chart here that's showing at the bottom, their hedge-adjusted Q4 2022 duration was exactly the same as their portfolio duration. In English, it means they didn't hedge. They used to hedge. On the left side, they used to hedge. In Q4, they did not hedge. Okay, so... So the bank all of a sudden was not hedging, despite the fact that interest rates were skyrocketing. Okay, got it. Who takes the risk? Ah, Mackerel says, in my opinion correctly, the depositors take risk. Now, many people are calling for a bailout, but the evidence that moral hazard was at play is too big to be ignored, and we should not reward moral hazard. Here are three facts that are hard to ignore. The outrageous amount of accounting tricks, number one. That's kind of like what I showed you. When you can just take toxic assets and say they're worth a lot less, but we're just going to say we're holding them to maturity. Then all of a sudden you don't actually have to report those losses. All you do is you end up saying, hey, uh, we have a column here of unrealized gains of $2 billion. But we have unrealized, or this is actually $2 million. And we have unrealized losses of $15 billion, which is like an entire year of net income for the bank. Well, now you're playing an accounting trick to deceive people to some degree, right? So number one, accounting tricks. Number two, not hedging. And they talk about how in December of 2021, Silicon Valley Bank had interest rate swaps. But by the end of 2022, they got rid of all of their hedges. So in other words, they used to have hedges, but then they did not. You could see that right here. Look on this right side. It says December 2021. Notional or contractual amount of hedge, $10.7 billion. It says right here, to manage interest rate risk on our available for sale securities portfolio, we entered into a pay fixed, receive floating. Interest rate swap. Basically, we bought a hedge for $10 billion. To hedge against the exposure to changes in the fair value of the securities resulting from changes in interest rates, aka JPOW make rates go up we designate these interest rate swap contracts as the fair value of the hedges, okay? So the fair value of the hedges was $10 billion. At the end of 2022, it was $550 million. So in other words, they got rid of almost all of their hedging by the end of 2022, even though rates were skyrocketing. Okay, makes sense. Not. Number three. So number one, misleading accounting. Number two, they got rid of the hedges they used to have, most of them. And number three, quote, the urge to stay away from tighter regulatory scrutiny. Now, I'm going to simplify this here. He doesn't actually even mention Donald Trump over here. Maybe he really likes Donald Trump. Uh, but I don't think what I'm saying has anything to do about whether or not I like Donald Trump or I don't like Donald Trump. This is not a political video. This is just a video to remind you about the courses on building your wealth link down below because that's the only sponsor of the channel. And this really high quality content and perspective on building your wealth, whether it's in real estate or stocks or otherwise. And we can do Q&A together and the lifetime access to the course member live streams that you get. Uh, Remember, I am a licensed financial advisor, but I'm not your personal financial advisor. I run an actively managed ETF. I sell these courses on building your wealth. I've got a real estate startup. So I do a lot of stuff in the finance world. But without getting into politics, number three, Silicon Valley Bank has been begging, begging for less regulation since at least 2015 and they got less regulation under the Trump administration and Republican Congress in 2018, where they were deemed not a systemically important bank because the limits were changed, which basically meant the bank didn't have to go through the regulation and supervision and stress tests that bigger banks do. In other words, they were able to take on more risk, and now they're defaulting, and now everybody's begging for a bailout. Probably doesn't exactly work that way. Now, you do have a lot of people who are quite fussy uh, right now on Twitter, especially the venture capitalists. The venture capitalists are freaking out. They're trying to cry afoul how terrible it would be that a lot of people are going to consolidate into larger banks to the death of smaller banks. Personally, that's actually what I recommend. Get away from the smaller banks. Get into some of the top eight banks. Top eight banks, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, or PNC, Financial Services, Truist Bank, and Goldman Sachs. Those are the top eight according to Bank rate as of March of this year. Then, uh, it's worth noting that, uh, a lot of these venture capitalists are making these sort of analogies like the following. And, and I think they're, they're really freaking out because they've got a lot of exposure. Here's one. And, and I actually like Dave Sachs. Okay. I think he's a good guy. I think he's got a lot of perspectives, but he says, blaming DePayertis. Blaming depositors for a bank failure is like placing the blame for medical malpractice on the patients because they didn't do a good enough job shopping for a doctor. Now, somebody here replied and said, When you sue a doctor for malpractice, does your settlement come for taxpayers? This is actually a really good counter argument here. There are insurance programs in place for that, and there are insurance programs in place for banks. 250K. So it's kind of like if you go into a doctor and you're like, hey, man, you know, if you mess up, I'm going to sue your insurance. Well, you're, that insurance might cover you up to $2 million, right? Well, FDIC, they make it very clear. Every time you walk into a bank, 250 k There's a sticker on every single teller window, 250 k Now, personally, I actually think it's worth making the argument here that, yes, to some degree, there is some blame about shopping for a doctor because if you buy a discount doctor isn't and like, you know, sometimes you go to certain areas and it's like, here's a billboard. Oh, we'll do, you know, LASIK for $95. And it's like, okay, you're going to do an eye surgery for $95. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, let me do a little bit of vetting. Sometimes when things sound a little too good to be true, maybe they're a little bit too good to be true. Maybe, maybe some say, maybe some of the benefits that banks were providing like Silicon Valley Bank were just a little too good to be true because the bank was taking on too much risk. And maybe that was a red flag. Now, of course, then you have people like Bill Ackman who has been freaking out for a while, clamoring here. What should the FDIC do? Well, the FDIC should immediately guarantee all bank deposits by Sunday night before Asia open and call a timeout, run a process to recapitalize the bank and manage the liquidation. Now, I hate to say it, but I have a lot of uh, very uh, uh, big skepticism for Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman was the guy in covid who went on CNBC demanding that everything be shut down for 60 days or 30 days to slow the spread or stop the spread of COVID while he was shorting the crap out of the market. He made lots of money shorting the market with his freakout talk. So, I, you know, I have some skepticism here. Now, there are some other people uh, who also say, let's see here. There's some other people who make this analogy that regulators are basically at the, uh, asleep at the wheel. Uh, here, for example, is the following. It says, only morons in the media could blame a single venture capitalist or all venture capitalists for SVB's demise. I mean, I don't think anybody's doing that. I think SVB is taking most of the blame or should take most of the blame. But anyway, it happened because SVB managed its, uh, mismanaged its balance sheet. Now, I agree with that. I do think uh, SVB mismanaged its balance sheet. I agree with that. However, they also say right here uh, that regulators were asleep at the wheel. My personal opinion is regulators are asleep at the wheel as much as the DMV is at your wheel when you're driving. Now, that might be a little bit extreme, but keep in mind, usually the regulators set up the rules and then they kind of only show up when stuff goes wrong. I hate to say it. That's just the way the game is played right now. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. just saying that's usually what happens. They usually come swooping in when stuff goes wrong. Not every single day. And the reason for that is because they generally focus their attention on what their mandates say, which is focus on the too-big-to-fail banks in the case of banking. So they're not actually, uh, like, sitting on your shoulder every day when you're driving at your smaller regional bank. This is why, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, of, of um, you know, suggesting, hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. This is solely a regulator problem. Okay. All right. You know, a little bit of a blame shift there. Who knows? that's just another one of my, uh, my opinions. So there we have it. Why did SVB fail? It's probably complete mismanagement of their balance sheet. They're upside down. In my opinion, if they get bailed out, it's probably going to cost taxpayers money. And this is my take. Now I'm going to make another cup of coffee and I'm going to do a live stream with my course members in the Elite Tesla's course. All right, folks, we'll see you soon. Goodbye.